instructed to be thankful. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 3, uh, Paul says, We give thanks to God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And that's in chapter 1. Again, in chapter 3, he is instructing us as followers of Christ to uh, set our affection on things above, to uh, put on the new man, put off the old man. And then he comes down and he says, let the peace of God in verse 15, the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you're called. He says, you're called to let the peace of God rule in your hearts and in one body. And then he says, and be ye thankful. We are instructed. We are admonished to be a thankful people. One of the many traits that I appreciate and I'm blessed by uh, Sister Ella Jean Perry is that she's always thankful. Now, she told me last night she had outlived her son who died at 26 years old. He was fishing on the, uh, the bank of the, the, uh, the Susquehanna uh, River and had a seizure, fell off and passed away. She's had cancer that she struggled with through her life. Lots of difficulties. She said, I was one of seven children, and I buried all of my siblings. But she said, I am thankful. Did you know that if we have a thankful heart, it takes care of a whole lot of other things in our life? If we're overcome with bitterness, with anxiety, with despair, discouragement, depression in our life, If we can pray that God blesses us to have a thankful heart, it's amazing how that it'll pull us out of those seasons of despondency and trouble if we just exercise a thankful heart. We are encouraged to be thankful. Uh, A year or so ago, I went to Texas, took my parents, and we met with our family. And one of my mother's uh, requests when we all get together, there were about 40 of us, and She wants everybody to get in a circle and hold hands before we pray and share something that they're thankful for at Thanksgiving time. And it's always a blessing to hear what other folks are thankful for. One of the things that I'm very, very thankful for is that we have an eternal home. We mentioned last week that if for no other reason in, uh, in, in being thankful for the time in which we're living, that it very well may be that the Lord comes back in this lifetime, that that in itself ought to be enough motivation to encourage us in the day in which we're living, that it just might be that the Lord returns and comes back in our lifetime. Well, if he returns and comes back, what happens next? Or if we die and pass away, What happens then? A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to the memorial service of Elder Sonny Piles in Graham, Texas. I was real thankful because Brother Piles was preaching about 45 years ago when I came forward to seek a home in the church. And I've had a a close relationship with Brother David, his son, and with Elder Piles. But... Uh, in going back, I, I tried to get there early because I wanted to stop and visit a sister that when I first knew her, she was in her 40s. And I knew that she's now in her 90s, Sister Mary Smith. I knew that she was in a nursing home, and my connection to Sister Mary Smith has always been Elder Piles. Every time I talked to him or see him, he would say, I've been to the nursing home and I visited with Sister Mary. Sister Mary is, uh, she's kind of like, she's very much the grandmotherly type, much like uh, Sister Reeves or Sister Greenfield, that uh, she's just everybody's grandmother. And no matter when you went to her home, her grandson and I were the same age, and we had good fellowship and her family. But whenever you'd go to her home, she'd always have homemade chocolate meringue pie or coconut meringue pie. It was always, it seemed like, fresh out of the oven. I don't know how that happened, but I tell you what, it just doesn't hardly get much better than hot chocolate meringue pie or coconut meringue pie just coming out of the oven. It seemed like she always had that available. Well, 
I knew that she was in a nursing home and Brother Piles had been my connection. I wanted to see her once again. We'd had wonderful memories in her home, singing hymns with her family. And I called a nursing home and I thought, surely there's only one nursing home in Graham, Texas because it's a little bitty town. It's in the middle of nowhere. Just, I mean, you, you don't just go through there. You have to be going there for a purpose or a reason. And so I called the first nursing home that I called and I said, would you have someone named Mary Smith? Now, up here, probably HIPAA would kick in and folks wouldn't even hardly answer the call. But the lady on the other end that answered the phone, she says, she's not here, but I used to live across the street from her and I know her niece. And she said, give me a minute and I'll make some phone calls and I'll tell you where she is. And there were like three nursing homes in this little town of Graham, Texas. I'm, I'm getting to a point here. And so they told me where she was. And I went to the nursing home and I found her. And she was around the table. And the folks were playing bingo. About 10 people there playing bingo. So she turned and she was, I could tell that she recognized me and she was happy to see me. She can't talk, just above a whisper. And she seemed happy to see me, but then she turned right back to the bingo game. And I thought, now I've come all this way and I want to visit with Sister Mary. So I sat through an entire bingo game, which was a little bit challenging for me. I wanted to kind of help them out in their bingo, speed it up. And there's just no way to do that. But then as soon as the bingo game was over with, I was so glad when somebody won the bingo game. And when the bingo game was over with, she was ready to visit. It was pretty well one-sided. She could respond a little bit, but her voice was so weak that it was just above a whisper. And I talked to her about the old songs we used to sing, about going to church and the fellowships that we had with her family, those wonderful meetings. And then when I left, the thought came to mind. The next time that I see Sister Mary Smith, very likely will be in heaven. I'll probably never be going back to Graham, Texas. You have to go there for a reason or a purpose. And the next time I'll see her will be in heaven. And then I thought, you know what? That's not so bad. What a blessing. That even though we might not see some of our loved ones again here on this earth, we have the assurance And the knowledge and the comfort in knowing that we're going to see him again in heaven. What a blessing. So we'll take a few minutes and talk about one of the greatest blessings that all of us have. And that is knowing that we're going to see our loved ones again in heaven. And knowing that we're going to be there as well. Sometimes we look forward to heaven more than other times. When we're young, we've got our life before us. We might not think about heaven quite as much as when we get a little bit older. When we go through difficult times, especially when we have health issues or others around us begin to have health issues and their health begins to fail, their mind begins to fade, we begin to think about heaven just a little bit more. And we oftentimes have experience here, experiences here that maybe the reason we have those experiences there to prompt us to think more and more about heaven. We ought to be concerned about it because that's where we're going to spend a whole lot of time someday. We ought to be more heavenly minded than earthly minded. And the closer you get to heaven, I believe, the more you think about heaven. I heard someone say that we actually have two lives that we live. The second life begins when we realize that we only have one life here. About that a minute. That when we realize we're not going to be here forever... All of a sudden, we live oftentimes a little bit different than the way we live when we think we're going to be here from now on. For me, that sort of kicked in in the 
in the 50s uh, when I realized I wasn't going to be here forever. I, I do like to hang around folks that are 100 plus years old because it kind of makes me feel young and makes me think that I might just have another 40 or 50 years. But real, reality is that we're guaranteed somewhat three score and 10 and by reason of strength, four score. But the Lord is the one that's in charge of our days. The Lord can add to those years if he chooses to do that. The Lord can. He did to Hezekiah. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples were grieving over Christ's departure. He had told them that he would rise again, and he did, and here he begins to ascend. He had been seen by above 500. He had shown himself to others after the resurrection of the dead. And then it says that when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And it says, while they looked steadfastly, those that were around him as he ascended into heaven. It says, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? Here, the followers of Christ As Christ rose up into heaven, they were gazing up into heaven. I can remember when my grandparents would come from another town and visit, and we'd have a great time of fellowship as a little boy. I can remember that all the grandkids would go to the window or the front door, and as grandmother and grandfather would leave, we'd stand at the door, and we'd watch the taillights of their car, and we'd wait until it turned and until it was completely out of sight. We'd stand there gazing. I remember when the Huffman family was making their move to Tennessee, that they loaded up their large 15-passenger van with all of their uh, children, and it was, a, it was a sad time because we hated to see them go, this wonderful large family that uh, God was moving them to the state of Tennessee. And I remember that uh, as they were pulling out the long driveway, I can remember watching the lights of the van as they began to pull out onto the road. And I stood there gazing as long as I could see him. And I think I've told you that about two minutes later, I saw the van coming back. And I can remember thinking, they've changed their mind. They're not going to move to Tennessee. And I got so excited. And they pulled back and they said, one of the kids had forgotten a shoe. Well, probably they were standing there gazing as the Lord went up. They were probably thinking just maybe he'll come back. But they were standing and gazing as Christ went on to glory. I want to talk just a little bit about our departure. Paul describes it this way about our departure or the departure of those that are around us. This is really good. Young men, take heed. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is charging Timothy right here. And he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. And then he says, preach the word. He's instructing young Timothy here. The Lord calls you to preach. If you're called of the Lord then this is what you're to preach, the word of the Lord. He says, be instant in season, be instant in season and out of season. What does that mean? I think it means that when you feel like it and even when you don't, when things seem to line up and when things don't line up, he says, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away from the ears of the truth, and there shall be turned unto fables. He's just basically saying right here that the time's going to come that people are going to depart from the truth and the right ways. And truly, if we are ever living in a time, the time is now. And the time would fit this description as well. But I want to get down. He says, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist. Brother David Piles described the work of an evangelist. He says, make full proof of thy ministry. If God calls someone, he also equips them. And the responsibility of the minister is to make full use or full proof of the ministry that God has put them in charge of or called them unto. And then Paul said this, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, I'm not sure how Paul knew that the time of his departure was at hand. Maybe from a general sense. Maybe just from a sense of his age. But also I believe that I've witnessed. I'm not saying this is the case with everyone. But I certainly know this is the case with some. That God gives us. Um, a knowledge or a conviction or a feeling that the time of our departure is at hand. I'll, I'll share a couple of experiences. Sister Kathy, if you'll let me borrow from your experience. Sister Kathy had a wonderful mother and father and her dad was a happy man, wasn't he? He was always happy. He was always smiling, even when he didn't feel good, even when things might not always have been going well. He was always happy and he wanted to make the folks around him happy, kind of like Sister Laura. That's a gift. That's a blessing when folks are that way. Well, he'd been very low and very near death. For some time, and his wife had been caring for him, Sister Ann, in, in their home. And I don't remember all the details, but I remember that we loaded up Brother Mark's large van, took a bunch of hymn books, and we went up to their home in Rising Sun. And he was in the hospital bed in his room, and Sister Ann was caring for him. And we went up there for the purpose of singing hymns and I know Sister Chrissy will remember this because we were sitting in the living room waiting to go into the bedroom to sing hymns and and uh, before we it, it took quite a while and before we went in uh, out walked his brother that looked just almost like him and Sister Chrissy knew that he was on his deathbed and all of a sudden his brother walks out and sister Chrissy thought he had had a miraculous recovery. And then a few minutes later, she realized that it was two different people that we were there to see. But we went in to sing hymns and as we were singing hymns, you could tell that it was blessing his soul. Now, Paul tells us that though the outward man perishes, that inward man is renewed day by day. And I believe you can witness that and I believe you can see it. And his countenance changed. And I tell you, I believe this is what it means when God, when Paul says, I know that my departure is at hand. His countenance changed and you could tell that his focus was no longer on this world and the things around it. But you could tell that his focus was on heavenly things solely. 
And we sang a few hymns. And I don't remember all the details, but I remember that after we sang some hymns, I encouraged the singers as they departed to, to go on and leave me there because I could tell that his departure was at hand. And in less than 45 minutes, he went on to be with the Lord. And you could sense that his countenance, his longing had changed. And the thought went through my mind that Brother Vaughn, who's happy here, is ecstatic now in glory. That he's now with the Lord. I had the privilege of caring for my grandmother. Wish I could have done better and wish I could have done it longer. But I'm thankful for the time that I had my grandmother. And I'm thankful that my grandfather and my grandmother were my connection to the primitive Baptist. And I'll always be thankful for that. I'm thankful for the blessing of having godly grandparents. And so it was a pleasure to, I mean, what to, not to say there weren't some difficult times. My grandmother told Brother Will Clift and his wife when they went over to see him and I was on a preaching trip. My grandmother said, I'll tell you one thing for sure. It's hard living with a preacher. <laughs> well, we had some difficult times, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And God blessed me with another blessing with my grandmother. She'd been in and out of the hospital and I took her back this time. The doctors and the nurses came in about 11 o'clock that night, 1130. And they said, she's responding to the medicine and probably tomorrow you'll be able to take her home. I stayed there with her. And about 12.01 at night, I could tell that some things were changing. <clears throat> And I could tell that her focus, I can't describe it other than to say that their focus is not on earthly things, but it's on heavenly things. And I could tell that she's just about to go and be with the Lord. And I'm telling you, she was in Johns Hopkins, and I don't believe if you'd had a thousand doctors, they could have prolonged her life because the Lord was coming back to take her home. And I remember picking her up and embracing her and holding her that last couple of minutes as she breathed out her breath, last breath and went home to be with the Lord. And the doctors had just been in and said, she'll probably go home tomorrow. When the Lord is ready to take us home, I don't think every doctor in the world is going to spare us from that. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not sure if you've been there when someone has gone home to be with the Lord. I can remember thinking to myself, how am I going to respond? How am I supposed to feel? What's it going to be like? And I can remember in every single case, God's blessed me to be with a number of folks when they've gone on to be with the Lord. And I can remember in every single case, the thought came to mind that if the scriptures are true, if God's word is true, if his promises are real, and I believe they are, then right this minute, their spirit is going to be with the Lord who gave it. I have to tell you, I kind of look for it. The Spirit. Maybe someday God will show me a little bit of it. I believe I see the effects of it. But I believe it's real. And I can tell you in every single case, here's the feeling that comes to me. I'm just a little bit jealous that they're going to be with the Lord and I'm still here.
Paul says, I'm ready to be offered. But you know, there's something to be said about that. Paul was content that he looked on his life. He said, I'm ready to go and be with the Lord. He said, I'm ready to be offered. And he said, the time of my departure is at hand. And then Paul looked on his life and he says, I fought a good fight. Maybe you can say that. Maybe you look at your life and say, I I wish I could fight a little bit better fight. Paul says, I finished my course and I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give at that day. And not to me only, but to them, all, uh, but to them, but to them, but to unto all of them also that love his appearing. I've heard folks say, I've heard folks say about other folks, they'll say, well, when, when someone does a good work or a good deed, you probably heard it said, well, that person's going to have a lot of stars in their crown. I believe that's what it's talking about right here. It's not talking about the stars that we get in our crown. But what he is saying right here is that you are crowned with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By his grace and by his mercy, you're crowned in his righteousness. And he says, by the way, he says, everybody that loves the appearing of Christ is crowned with this righteousness. So I, I present to you that if you love the appearing and the return and the expectation of Jesus Christ, then you've been crowned with his righteousness. Paul said, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to it. Now, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter Twelve. I won't read all the way through this, but uh, um, you you can on your own. It starts out, and the first couple of verses are the first verse is strictly for the young people. Rest of us, we we either we either miss the mark or we were able to uh, strive toward the mark. But that first verse is for young folks only. Maybe it's for us to encourage the young folks. But he says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when they, thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He's saying right here, you, it's, a, it's a, a charge to young folks to remember the Lord in their youth. To start out, don't say, I'll serve the Lord when I get to be the ripe old age of 40 or 50 or 60. But I'll serve the Lord in my youth. And that's the charge that he's given. He goes on to say, he says, when you get a little bit older, there's going to be some extra challenges that come with old age. And so I believe he is instructing us right here that he's instructing, instructing us to learn how to serve the Lord in our youth. Learn how to have the right attitude, the right mindset. To learn how to have the right priorities and to learn it in our youth before what he describes the evil days. Because if we haven't learned it in our youth and then all of a sudden the evil days come up, we may be overwhelmed by these challenges that come our way. And he describes right here the evil days. And he's talking about the decline and the decay of of the natural man or the natural body of our mind and of our body. And he comes down and he says, I'll just hit a couple of them here. He says in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. He's talking about the hands folks refer to getting Parkinson's. He says, when the keepers of the house shall tremble, when the strong men shall, shall bow themselves, when the grinders will cease because they're few. Anybody know what grinders are? Anybody have any grinders? Hopefully you have your original grinders. Uh, Brother Mike Rogers was preaching on this, this describing old age and all of the maladies of old age. And uh, after, the, after the sermon, 
Um, he was right here at Mount Carmel. You'll remember Sister Janice Bear. She was pushing almost 80 years of age and she came through and she wasn't real edified by the description of old age and all of the challenges of old age. And she, at the handshake, as she came through, she spoke to Brother Mike after he had preached on this, where it says the grinders will cease because they're few. She says, young man, I'll have you know, I still have all of my original teeth. And she was uh, really excited about that, that she could still claim that one point of the uh, descriptions of old age that at least she was exempt from. But he comes down and he talks about the decline, both physically and mentally. And then he talks about our departure And this is what he says right here. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. And he says, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Another, another portion of scripture that that emphasizes what happens When we die, he says that the spirit goes back to God who gave it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5, he enlightens us a little bit more right here. He says in chapter 4, he says, For which cause we faint not that though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is for a moment worketh for us a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. He's talking about the heavenly things for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And he describes it right here for we know. That if this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. And he says, by the way, this eternal house is in heaven. That's where the eternal house is. It's also referenced in John chapter 14. Jesus Christ tells the disciples, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. And whither I go and the way Ye know, Jesus Christ says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It is in heaven and I'm coming back for you. Now, he says right here in chapter five, he says, for if we know that this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And then he says, for in this we groan. He mentions it two times right here. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being found clothed, we shall not be found naked. He mentions it a second time here. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. He says being burdened not for that which we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Do you ever get so burdened with life that maybe not audibly, but at least inwardly you groan with the weight and struggle that's upon you? And you long for something that's far better than what we have here. The Apostle Paul tells us that heaven is not a little bit better, but heaven is far better. And here the Apostle Paul says that we groan longing and desiring to be at a place that's far better than we experience it here. Sometimes as afflictions come our way, we might express that even audibly. I had the blessing of being with my grandfather before the Lord took him home and he was 91 years old and we had a wonderful relationship 
And I can remember that my grandfather, as he was nearing the end, he would oftentimes, he would just, for a day or two before, he would just groan, not saying anything. I don't know if he knew that he was groaning, but he would groan. It, this was back before hospice. Hospice wasn't popular back then. It wasn't a common knowledge back then, but he would, he would groan. And it was interesting that the grandkids or his children could simply grab his hand or put on some hymn singing. And all of a sudden, he was completely comfortable and completely calm. I believe he was growing that natural man, that natural body as it was decaying, getting ready to go and be with the Lord. But the verse I want to really get to that's so good, all of them are really good, but this next few are great. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, that means... While we would term it, I believe, still alive here on this earth like we are right now. He says that while we are at home in the body, that means our spirit is in the body. There's there's two parts of us, the spiritual man, the, the spiritual man, then the body, which is the outward man. But then this is what he says right here. He says, for while we are at home in the body, while our spirits in the body, we are absent from the Lord. He means in heaven. And then verse 8, he says right here, We are confident, I say, rather to be absent from the body. We are confident, we are, we are, but I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When we breathe out our last breath here in this life, from what the scriptures indicate right here, at that Point in time, when we breathe our last breath, naturally speaking, our spirit within doesn't stay in the body. It goes, it doesn't go to a holding place. It doesn't go to a place that it has to make more sacrifices. It says when we're absent from the body, we're present right then with the Lord. That's where the Spirit goes. Now he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he's going to come back and resurrect and he's going to change our bodies. He's going to take our bodies and reunite them. Do you know what? I believe all of our bodies, all of our imperfections are going to be changed when he takes us on home to glory. I'll give you another one right here to think on. David, when his son was about to die, it says that he grieved. You can, you can uh, read that yourself, that David grieved about the dying and the passing of his infant son. And then after he passed, they went to him to, to tell the news and he recognized uh, their countenance. And all of a sudden his countenance was encouraged and he, he went and nourished himself and he, he washed himself and he praised God. And they said, we don't understand it. When your son was sick, you were in mourning. And now that he's gone, your countenance is different. We don't understand. And he said, I can't bring him back. I didn't know what God might spare him here in this life. I can't bring him back. But I sure can go to where he is. And I'll see him again. We might have some moms and dads or grandparents that have lost a child in infancy or in the mother's womb, I believe we have good indication that you're going to see them again in heaven. Now those infants, God does not have a variety of ways that he saves folks. He saves everybody the same way. And even though the infants, even the ones that are, 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 are very young or not born, even though... They may not be sinners by practice. We're sinners by nature. And so it requires the very same salvation for all the blood of Jesus Christ. But I believe that if you if you buried an infant or a child, you'll see that child again in glory. David said, I'm looking forward to that. 
And he was encouraged with that, with that conviction and that promise. So he says that we'll be absent from the body and we'll be present with the Lord. Now, a couple of verses in Revelation. There is so much that I don't understand in Revelation, but I sure get excited about the few things that I do. And I, I, I don't try to preach something that I don't have understanding or light on. So if you get comfort or you're encouraged out of this, it's a blessing. I, I trust if you do. Revelation chapter 7. And I beheld, and David Piles spoke at his dad's memorial service, and he said he spoke about how his dad had a, a photographic memory and everything that he had ever read, including the encycl- all of the encyclopedias when he was a young boy, he remembered. It, it just stuck. Brother Sonny Piles told me one time, he said, when I was a young man, he said, I could read the scriptures, and he said, they stuck to my mind like tar to a bucket. Brother David said, I don't have that same memory. But he said, I have snapshots that I remember. Well, here's a snapshot into heaven right here. This is not descriptive of what all of heaven is going to be like, but it's a snapshot of what heaven's going to be like. John had a snapshot. Here it is. And he says, and I beheld and lo." There was a great multitude. Do you know what? That's real important. Some folks think that it's going to be us four and no more that's in heaven. And that you've got to conform to their way of thinking or their different steps that you have to achieve. But I think this will sort of tell you that God's family is oftentimes a lot bigger than what we would measure his family to be. He says, I beheld and lo, there was a great multitude. You talk about a family reunion. That's going to be a wonderful family reunion because there's going to be a lot of folks that are there. He says, I saw a great multitude. And he says, in fact, what I saw in this snapshot was a multitude that was so large That no man can number. Now we've got a lot of smart folks today. That have a lot of smart devices. And a lot of intelligence. And a lot of devices that can calculate large numbers. But did you know that the family of God. Is so large that no man can number it. So it's a big family. And he tells us right here. He says and lo when I saw. He said, this is what I saw. John, if you go to the first part, it tells that he has a vision of things to come. A vision of what it's going to be like in glory. And he says, here's the snapshot that God has given. He says, I saw a great multitude which no man could number. Now, just in case you think it's only confined to the primitive Baptist, he does away with that idea of thinking right here. Just in case you think it's only confined to the United States of America, he does away with that in the next portion of the verse right here. He says, and I beheld and lo, a great number which no man could number. And he says, there are people there in heaven of all nations. Did you know that God's family includes all nations? It doesn't say that everybody in every nation is in the family of God, but it says in the family of God, there's all nations. You may say, well, maybe they haven't heard about Jesus Christ. I want you to know that I believe that the scriptures teach that he writes our laws, his laws in our hearts and in our minds, and he causes us to be his child And he is our king. And it says that we will know him. And it's not necessarily that we know him from an audible standpoint. But we know him from the inside. And only God is able to do that. And he can reach his people no matter where they are. So if you love God, it's because he loved you first. Here's what he says. 
I've got a big family. He said, there's a big number of people. Nobody can number the, the number of people that are in my family. And he said, they come out of all nations. They come out of all kindreds. And he says, and people and tongues. He says, they're even out of all languages. I have a large family, not just the English language, not just the Spanish or French. He said, I've got a people and they're out of all languages. And they stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and the elders and the four beasts fell before the throne on their faces and they worshiped God. Did you know that that's what's going to occupy our time in heaven? You think you enjoy worship here. You're going to really enjoy it in heaven. I don't know about you, but when we worship here. Satan throws out a whole lot of distractions. I mean, sometimes my mind is like a firecracker. It can just go in so many different directions. In heaven, I'm not going to struggle with that. In heaven, I'm going to be single-minded and solely focusing upon the worship of Jesus Christ. If you think you enjoy worship here, just wait till you get to heaven. You're going to really enjoy it there. That's what we're going to be occupying our times with, worshiping and praising God. They're singing praises. One of the verses saying blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And it goes down and it says that the sun will light us. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 21 and we'll just hit a couple of verses right here. Really, really good. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth chapter 21, the first heaven, the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's his people. That's his church. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. You know, that that's just probably the best news we could hope for, that we're going to be his people. We are his people and that he is our God. And then this is what he says right here. I know this is heaven because it doesn't it certainly doesn't happen here. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I think the way I think when he says he's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. Did you know that the reason he wipes away all tears from their eyes is all those things that cause us tears here in this life. We're not going to experience in glory. In heaven. He says he'll wipe away all tears from their eyes. He says, and there shall be no more death. Now, I have to say, I'm excited about heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm not so much excited about death. I remind myself and I read the scriptures and I think about it. But unless the Lord comes back, and I hope he does, death's going to come to all of us. And death is... Is what allows us to pass through on into glory. And when I focus on the scriptures, it encourages me even about death. When I get discouraged about self and despondent, then I don't dread it quite as much. But he says that in heaven, there's not going to be any more death. So if you've been plagued with it and it's touched your family or eventually will touch you, you're not going to be plagued with it in heaven because there's not going to be any more death. He says, there's not going to be any more sorrow. A lot of the Lord's people have a lot of things that bring a lot of sorrow in their life here in this life. I mean, it would probably amaze you if you knew all the sorrow that people experience just in this room right here. 
most people don't share all the, all the different aspects that bring sorrow into their life. But he says that in heaven, he says, you're not going to have any more sorrow. You don't deal with that anymore. Then he says, there's not going to be any sorrow. There's not going to be any crying. He says, uh, there shall be no more death, sorrow, crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Anybody here ever experienced pain? I mean, the only person I know that doesn't experience pain is Sister Perry. If anybody deserved to experience pain, it'd be Sister Perry. But God has given her a, a, an extra strong constitution, but she doesn't have any pain. Talked to Sister Lee last week, and she was just talking about the tremendous pain that she has all the time. Sometimes folks have so much pain that they can't even sleep at night. They can't get comfortable to even rest at night because of all the different pain. Sometimes you experience sorrow of heart and you experience pain because of the lives of others. But he says that in heaven, there's not going to be any more pain. Now, I don't know about you. I may not know all of what heaven's going to be like, but knowing what it's not going to be like really makes it very wonderful to think on. Truly, what a day that will be. He says the former things are passed away. One of the greatest blessings that we have to be thankful for is the hope, the knowledge, the assurance of those that have gone on that they're in heaven and that we're going to see them again and that we ourselves will experience this eternal bliss. I love that old song. Farewell, vain world. I'm going home. My Savior bids me come. I'm thankful that we have that great blessing of heaven and our eternal home to long for. And even though I probably won't see Sister Mary Smith again on this earth, I have great assurance that I'll see her in heaven. God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.